0: We ask you to guide us now into that truth. And we ask for these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, so that no one can come to you, the Father, except through him. Amen. Perhaps the greatest of all crimes against God and humanity is the deliberate distorting of God's Word. I say that because it is Scripture that reveals who God is, what He requires of us in order to live a life that is pleasing to Him, and it is in the Scriptures that we are taught how we can enter into God's eternal kingdom. Since so much is at stake, the penalty facing false prophets has always been severe. Back in Deuteronomy 13, we read, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. And then in verse 5 we're told, But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death, because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God. There's a reason why Jesus' strongest language was reserved for the Pharisees and the false teachers. And that's because the damage brought about by them had eternal consequences. In Matthew 23, 13, Jesus said, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. How's that for a vivid picture? People want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, and the religious leaders should be opening the door, ushering them in. Instead, Jesus says, you slam the door in their face. And then he says, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. And then in twenty three fifteen, he said, "Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves." And you need to know that that word "woe" means "damn" to you, false teachers, if you do not repent. Again, because of the damage that they're causing, not only in this life, but for all eternity. Jesus also said in Matthew 18:5 and 6, talking about little children. Picture it, little children. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, meaning stumble, to, to turn away from the faith... It would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Jesus had strong warnings against false teachers because he understood what was at stake. Recently, I read a Facebook post by Andrew Sadlin who said, I believe the hottest places in hell are reserved for college and seminary professors And preachers that subtly undermined the simple confidence of young, impressionable minds and hearts in the infallible word of God. He went on to say, I tremble to think of their standing before the great judge of the earth on the final day. Edenic sin began with diabolical doubts of God's word. And anybody or anything that casts doubts on the Bible is an agent of of satan it's serious when you lead people astray from the truth and because of the danger posed by false prophets and, and teachers peter wants his readers and he wants you and he wants me to be able to recognize what they are all about and in our text this morning he shines the light on them and he exposes them for who they are and he wants us to know five things about these false teachers so if you're taking notes, there's five things, or excuse me, six things that he wants us to know about these false teachers. First of all, he wants us to know they will always be among you. He wants us to know they will always be among you. So notice how he began this section. But, of course, as soon as we begin with the but, we have to say, well, but what? It's, obviously, he's presenting a contrast, and he's contrasting what he's saying here with what he said earlier in verse 21. In 21, he said, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Isn't that a sobering thought? He didn't say there might be false teachers among you. He said there will be false false teachers among you. This is what John MacArthur says in his commentary on this passage. To be sure, Satan's attacks are often external through the propagation of false religions and cults, but he also uses internal tactics, seeking to destroy God's people from within. Hence his servants as wolves and sheep's clothing, do their best to infect the flock with the doctrine of demons. Because this false teaching comes in subtler forms, the discerning are often deceived, being unable to distinguish the error from truth. And Peter wants his readers to be discerning. You know, it's interesting. Back in Acts 20, Paul met with the Ephesian elders, and he had been with them For three years, and then this is what he said at the end as he was departing from these leaders. He said, I know that after my departure, false wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after themselves. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years... I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. By the way, he's not exaggerating. For three years, he was admonishing the people. Make sure you understand your Bibles. Make sure you understand basic doctrine because false teachers are going to come in. And he admonished them with tears because he wanted them to stand firm. Now, here's a question asked: How did he know that after he left, false teachers would come in? I've said this before, but did he have some great revelation by God? No. It's because this is what always happens. False teachers come in, so you always have to be on your guard. And the answer is to be alert. He said, be alert. And in verse 32, he said, And now I commend you to God and the word of his grace. Be alert. And now I commend you to God and his word. Make sure you understand what God's word says. Then you will recognize these false teachers when they come in. So that's the first thing Peter wants us to know. He wants us to know. False teachers will always be among you. Number two, he wants us to know, they will secretly bring in destructive heresies. They will secretly bring in destructive heresies. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. And our translation says, they will stealthily introduce these heresies, they're going to try and fly under the radar so that you don't know they're coming in. And you need to be alert. You need to be ready for this. This is what we read in Jude 4. And there's a lot of parallels between 2 Peter and Jude. If you, if you buy a commentary on 2 Peter, it might also include Jude because there's a lot of overlap. But in Jude we read, For certain people have crept in unnoticed can see how sneaky they are you know you think of just like creeping like maybe you might want to creep up on someone if you wanted to scare them they they creep in so you don't know they're they're coming they try to creep in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation ungodly people who pervert the grace of our god into sensuality and deny our only master and lord jesus christ and notice that Peter here calls them destructive heresies. I think the King James is actually a little better. Uh, the King James refers to them as damnable heresies. And that really is the idea. Uh, Jesus uses the same word destruction in Matthew 7, 13, and 14 when he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and the way is easy that leads to destruction that's our word and those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few and then he said beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves you will recognize them by their fruits so these teachers bring in damnable heresies. Now, actually, it's interesting. This, this word heresy really is just opinions. They bring in destructive opinions. They bring in damnable opinions. And I think that's interesting because what Peter may be intimating here is that instead of preaching God's word, they give you their opinion. Well, folks, let me tell you what I think. But these opinions lead people astray. A while ago, I was listening to a great message by one of my professors from seminary, D.A. Carson, and in this message, he was giving reasons for expository preaching. In case you don't know what expository preaching is, expository preaching is just what we're doing right here, just working our way through books of the Bible. Right now, we're in 2 Peter, and we're just working our way through 2 Peter, and And in this message, he just gave a list of reasons as why you should prefer expository preaching over other methods of preaching. And one of the reasons he gave was this. It is the method least likely to stray from God's word. That is simple, but that is profound. It's the method least likely to stray from God's word. And here's an observation I've made. False teachers are rarely, if ever, expository preachers. I'm being honest. Is Joel Olstein an expository preacher? Does Joel Olstein open up the Bible and say, Today we're going to continue on through this book of the Bible. This morning we're going to look at these next five verses. Expository preaching ties you to the text. Think of it as a built-in governor. If you've ever taken your kids to a go-kart track, uh, those go-karts can only go so fast because they have a, a governor. Golf carts have them too. Don't you hate that, Mick? You can only go so fast <laughs> because, because of the, the governor, it, it stops you so you can only go so far. And think of expository preaching as a governor on your preaching. Because if you're dealing with god's word if you're beginning at verse one and then you're going to verse two and then you're going to verse three you're not going to stray very far because your finger is in the text the whole way and you're saying well this is what he says here this is what he says next here is the implication that he draws here's the application that we therefore make out of the text it's not that hard preachers like myself are commanded to preach the word not preach your opinion who cares what i think about what's going on in the culture whatever that's like my standard answer if people outside the church you know they ask me about some kind of biblical issue well what do you think well why do you care what i think who cares what i think I'm, i'm nobody but if you're asking what god thinks well that's a different story and we should want to know what god thinks And that's why we want to be tied to the text. And here's what I would say. Even if you're not a part of our church, if you go to another church, I I would admonish you if I could. And I I think I would almost do it with tears. Please find a church that's committed to expository preaching, a church that's committed to opening up God's word. Because when you gather together on a Sunday morning, you want to hear a word from God. You want to be saying pastor please open up the scriptures and tell us what god is saying in his word so that's that's crucial so because of the dangers posed by false teachers peter wants you to know number one they will always be among you number two they will secretly bring in destructive heresies number three they will be judged by god Verse 1 again, but false prophets also rose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Now, this phrase, denying the master right here who bought them, is, is a difficult phrase. Here's what I think it means. I think master here, and it's not the Greek word kurios, it's usually used Lord, it's a different word. And it refers to someone who exercises supreme sovereign authority. Think of a a master of the house. I think of Jane Austen's classic novel, Pride and and Prejudice. And the maid refers to Mr. Darcy, who was the, the owner of this massive estate, as the master. She would call him the master. And by the way, she said, he's the most kind Master, he's a good master. I've never heard a harsh word from my master. That's, that's the kind of master we have in the Father. And when it says that he bought us, I don't think it's talking about redemption. I think the, the idea here of, is, is of a master who buys a slave, and therefore he owns the slave, and you belong to him. So I think the idea here is that God is our master, and we belong to To him. He's exercising ownership. So it's controversial, raises all kinds of other theological issues, but I think that's what Peter is getting at here. But notice what he says about these false teachers who deny the master who bought them. He says they bring upon themselves swift destruction. And next week we're really going to look at that because Peter has a lot to say about the destruction that is coming upon these teachers, and he's going to remind us of the destruction that has come in the past. But for now, I want you to notice that what's coming upon them, they bring upon themselves. He says they bring upon themselves swift destruction. They're they're getting what what they deserve. It reminds me of Galatians 6, 7, and 8, where we read, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So God is gracious, God is merciful, but we we reap what we sow. A few of us were talking last week after the service. We, we were talking about David, and, and we were saying David was a man after God's own heart, but... As the saying goes, the best of men are men at best, and David stumbled, and and he fell, and as a result, there were consequences for his behavior. All kinds of turmoil came into his family, and his son that was born to Bathsheba ended up dying, so there are consequences. And Peter wants us to know, these false teachers, they're they're not going to get away with it. Swift judgment is going to come upon them. So Peter wants us to know, number one, they will always be among you. Number two, they will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Number three, they will be judged by God. Number four, they are characterized by sensuality. They are characterized by sensuality. Verse two, and many will follow their sensuality. We're going to see this again. And again, actually, we see it a little later in verse 10. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion. And then down in verse 14, they have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. And then down in verse 18, for speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh. So they're characterized by sensuality. And, I, and I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. It's, it's uncanny, how often false teachers eventually are exposed for having an affair or something similar to that. It, it's just like you can, you can see it coming. And to be honest with you, sometimes I expect that. I see a false teacher, and I'm like, I, I wonder what's going to come, come out in their life because false teaching and false living always go together. You say, Pastor, you're not supposed to say always. Well, except when it's true. False teaching and false living always go together. What, what you believe, your theology, as one pastor likes to say, comes out your fingertips. It, it affects how you live your life. And I want you to notice the fallout from these false teachers. Peter mentions a couple of things. He says, many will follow their sensuality. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. This is one of the reasons why Jesus was so concerned about the scribes and the Pharisees. In Matthew 23, beginning at verse 1, he said, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seats, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but they do not practice. Usually we say they don't practice what they preach. So Jesus is saying, if they're preaching the truth, then you need to do it. But if they're not living as they should live, then don't follow what they, what they do. And then there's there's another fallout that he mentions right at the end. He says, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. That, that's a strong word. I don't know about you, but every time I hear of a, a prominent Christian leader who falls, I just... I cringe because I know what's coming next. Don't you know what's coming next? You know what the world's going to say. Oh, there goes another one of those religious guys not practicing what they, what they preach. And it makes God look bad. Leaves the church with a, a black eye. And notice what Peter said. The, the way of truth is blasphemed. The way of truth to eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ is blasphemed. So people look at the church and they say, if that's how the church is going to behave, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And I cringe because when they say, I don't want to have anything to do with that, what they're saying is, I don't want to have anything to do with the good news of the gospel. So a lot is at stake with these false teachers and when they come out and and they're exposed because the damage is just horrendous. And Peter wants us to be aware of that. So Peter wants us to know again, number 1, they will always be among you too. They will secretly bring in destructive heresies. 3, they will be judged by God. 4, they are characterized by sensuality. Number 5, you probably could have guessed this. They are driven by greed. Verse 3, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. And then in verse 14, second half of that verse, they have hearts trained in greed. So they are motivated by money. They are ministering for money. That's what drives them, when every preacher and actually every Christian should be driven by a desire to please Jesus Christ. And when your desire is to please Jesus Christ, that, that will make all the difference in how you live and how you minister. Michael Reeves tells a great story about the reformer Hugh Latimer. I've mentioned him before. Uh, They're famously known uh, together, along with Ridley, because they were burned at the stake in England in October 16, 1555. But a few years before that, uh, the reformer Hugh Latimer was scheduled to preach before King Henry VIII. Now, here's what you need to know about King Henry. Uh, He was brutal. He had many wives and mistresses, and he had quite the temper You were a brave woman if you marry King Henry because you had a one in three chance of being killed. You Latimer scheduled to preach before King Henry, and he chose for his text. Whoremongers and adulterers he will judge. And before the king, he held nothing back. He spoke in a very plain, forthright manner about what God has to say about lust. And when he finished, the king said, next Sunday, you will apologize, and you will take back what you said, and you will eat your words. Latimer thanked the king, and he left. Next Sunday... Latimer stood before the king and said, Hugh Latimer, thou art this day to preach before the high and mighty Prince Henry, king of Great Britain and France. If thou says one single word that displeases his majesty, he will take thy head off. But then he said, Hugh Latimer Thou art this day to preach before the Lord God Almighty, who is able to cast both body and soul in hell. Therefore, tell the king the truth outright. And he did with no apology in a very forthright manner. Henry did not take off his head, and he actually respected him for telling him, Truth. But it comes down to what these preachers are motivated by. Why are they standing in front of God's people so that they can please the King of Kings or so that they can accumulate more money for themselves? You know, I think it's good for us to be reminded from time to time why we're doing what we're doing. You know, last week before the message, I prayed and was based on this story that I just told you. Last week before the message, Uh, In my prayer, I said, Lord, right now I am about to preach before Jesus Christ, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, in your congregation. And maybe you didn't realize it, but I was saying that prayer to myself, to remind myself as I stand before you, who am I really preaching to? I am really required to please one person so that when I walk out after the message, I can say, Lord, were you pleased? Regardless of what anybody else thought, were you pleased? And even as Christians, that's our objective. You want to please God and and what your calling is when you go to work, whether you're at home, wherever you are, the objection, the objection, or excuse me, your goal should be to please God and Jesus Christ and all that you do. Motives are, are crucial and these false teachers have have the wrong motives. So we need Peter wants us to know they will always be among you. They will secretly bring in destructive heresies. They will be judged by God. They are characterized by sensuality, five, they are driven by greed, and finally number 6, they tell people what they want to hear. They tell people what they want to hear. Again, verse verse 3. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. And I think the false words are just telling people what they want to hear. And Can I just tell you as a pastor, I can tell what people enjoy hearing, and I can tell you what they really don't want to hear. You just have to be a little bit of observant to see what's going on. And they're using false words, and they're telling these people what they want to hear. Here's a question I have for you. Why do you think the prosperity gospel is so rampant? Seriously. Why do you think the prosperity gospel is so rampant? Apparently, there is a market for this kind of preaching. Now, don't misunderstand. I know some people are deceived, and they can't recognize it for what it is. But others are drawn to this type of preaching because they are hearing what they want to hear. In 2 Timothy 4.3, Paul says, telling young preacher Timothy, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. No, no, we don't want to have anything to do with that. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So they gather around them, teachers who are, who are telling them what they what they want to hear. So they flock to those teachers. It's interesting. The, the pastors are greedy, so they tell the people what they want to hear. And because the people are greedy, they say to the pastor, tell us more. Tell me more about how if I have my devotional time, I'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and, and my life will just be smooth sailing. Tell me how about how if I follow Jesus Christ." Every day is just going to be one single blessing after another. Tell tell me more, Pastor. Tell me how I can have eternal life, and God will love me unconditionally, and I don't have to change anything in my life. Because God is a God of love, so I can come to him however I am, and he accepts me for for who I am, and he will not ask me to change a single thing about my, my life. Tell me about this great this great love, pastor. And so they do. And they say, that's wonderful. Can't wait to come back next week and hear how much God loves me. It's, it's sad. And I, and I don't know if this is because of social media so now you can see what's going on in churches. I don't get to see a lot of churches because I'm here on Sundays. But because of social media, you can see what's taking place in in different churches. And, some of it is absolutely appalling and, and blasphemous. What is taking place behind pulpits in the name of God Almighty? I, I see some clips, and, and I'm really surprised that lightning doesn't, doesn't strike. There doesn't seem to be any fear and trembling that you're speaking on behalf of God, and you have to represent him for who he is. So this is my prayer for this congregation. I have two prayers. I have more than two, but I'll give you two this morning. First of all, my prayer is that for anybody who stands behind this pulpit, your attitude would be, Pastor, open up God's word and tell us the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Tell me the truth that I want to hear. Tell me the truth that comforts me. Tell me the truth that makes me feel uncomfortable. Tell me the truth that's going to convict me. But please tell me the truth. If you're going to stand behind that pulpit, pastor, please be a Hugh Latimer, be a Martin Luther, be a John Calvin, a John Knox, be someone who will speak the truth regardless of what consequences may come. I have come to church wanting to hear a word from God, so please speak what God has to say in his word. Don't skip over those hard passages because they're uncomfortable. And then my second prayer is that you will all be Bereans. That you will evaluate everything that is said from behind the pulpit. I love what we read in, in Acts 17. Paul and Silas are traveling. And we read in Acts 17, verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paulus and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived there, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those of Thessalonica. Wow, these Jews were more noble. What set them apart? They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. That's great. pastor says, today we're going to look at... Second Peter 2, verses 1 through 3. All right. All right. Wait a second, Pastor. I'm not there yet. Yeah, okay. I'm going to be watching you. Go ahead. Got my concordance out. Got my cross-references ready. Go, go ahead, Pastor. Feel free to do that. I encourage you to do that. Do you have any questions about anything that I say or anybody else who fills in for me behind this pulpit? And you think, ah, I think he might be off a little bit. You have my permission. Okay, here you go. You have my permission to ask me about my interpretation. I will not be offended. I will not be defensive. In fact, and I, and I really mean this, I'll be glad. There's someone in this church. I get together on a regular basis. And it's wonderful. Every time we get together sit down for lunch. And he says, I got a question about this verse. I got a question about this. I got a question about this. And he said, are you bothered by all these questions? I said, like, I love these questions. I said, I wish more people had questions. I really do. It's wonderful to see God's people reading God's word and seriously taking it in. So that's my encouragement to you, that you will be as you will examine the scriptures daily and if it's true then you will apply it to your life so that you can be blessed not only from hearing it but from putting it into practice let's close in prayer Father once again we thank you for your word it is indeed a lamp unto our feet and light unto our path how lost we, will, we would be without it I do pray for this congregation that they desire the pure milk of the word like a newborn baby desires its mother's milk. And I pray that they will be eager to hear your word, and I also pray that they will be among those who are examining what they're hearing. And I ask these things constantly.